Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, good morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is in the house. The King of Kings is here. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. We're going to say this psalm together. And if you all want to stand up. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome family. You're here to embrace the Lord. Okay, at the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a wash in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it refreshes and renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as, you have, as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Hallelujah. He's awesome. He's awesome. This morning we, have a, we had a confirmation that there is an open heavens over us. Hallelujah. That is exciting. Open heavens. The Lord is here. And the Lord God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead is here. 
and there are entourages of angels, angels upon angels. We want to welcome them. Hallelujah. So, Father, we welcome you. King of kings, we welcome you. Most high God, we welcome you. Jesus, our brother, our helper, our redeemer, our savior, our friend, the lover of our souls, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, our companion, we can't do without you. We welcome you. And all who are coming with you, we welcome you. We embrace you. We say, have your way in us. Have your way in us. We are the gates. We lift up our, our heads. Gates and the king of glory is coming in. Mighty God, have your way among us today. Manifest your presence and show us your love. We love on you. We worship you. In the beauty of your holiness, we worship you. We glorify your name, most high God. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you that you are, you've been here this morning. You're here with us. You are Emmanuel. Your spirit is in the room. Lord, we thank you for the identity that we have in you. You are our Father. You call us by name. We are your beloved. We are sons and daughters. We call you Abba. You want us to crawl up in your lap. Lord, thank you for meeting us where we were, where we were, where we are, each and every day. Whatever we're dealing with, you have time for. We don't always get that in our lives. You are always right there, waiting. Lord, I pray that we would all take hold of that identity in you as your children. You wait with grace for us time and time and time and time again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Welcome to this portion of the service that's never been done before. It's going to be very different. We're gonna. We're actually setting up a station for River City Idol, and <laughs> you're all invited to sing. Just kidding. So, a little bit about what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. At the beginning of this month, we decided instead of focusing on locating a space, which seemed a little bit superficial, we wanted to focus on why we exist as a church. And so, for the whole month of October, we've been talking through things like what, how do we pray, uh, why do we exist, and last week we talked about giving and serving. And so I would just recommend if you haven't been to any of those services or missed some of that stuff, it would be very important to listen to those things, um, specifically related to how we're going to move forward as a church. There's going to be changes next year just because of where we're at as a church. And so I would highly recommend going to our website, finding the podcast, and listen to the last three to four weeks. Today we get to do something a little different in that we asked you to answer or give us questions at the end of the services over the last couple weeks. And you did that, and I really appreciate that you did that. And we've collected those and put them in buckets, <laughs> metaphorical bu buckets, 
that we're going to answer together. And I, my book is near. Will you hand me that, Bill, real quick, that white book? So the way that we did that, because we had so many questions, is, of course, we can't answer. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Bill. Can't answer all of them. Um, they were all good. We're honored that you would participate in that way. But we can answer some of the ones as we prayed through as a staff that are very important. And we've kind of challenged our staff to just be honest and to answer really, instead of trying to paint a picture that makes us appear a certain way. And so our staff is going to do that. Really quickly, though, over the past three years, each year God has given us a scripture for the year to focus on for that year. So year one, and you can pull this up, Shante, was First Thessalonians. And this was the one for the first year. And you become imitators of us of the Lord, for you have received word. Is this right? So that you be, Oh, yeah, yeah. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia. So this was our first year. Let you just read it on your own so I don't butcher that again. This is the part you're looking for, right? Yeah. Yeah, so this is it right here. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, and I'm going to butcher that word as well. I always do. Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The idea behind this year was let our faith be so strong that we don't have to put together like a marketing campaign to, to promote Jesus. Like he needs to be promoted through our promotional means. But that we would be the, we would embody the gospel. And God really did some of that stuff. The year two, we had um, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The idea here was we needed deeper roots. I don't feel like the world or Smyrna is looking for more churches who are spread thin, but that know how to go deep. There's a, there's a bunch of basically relational spiritual orphans that need to know how to be planted firmly in God. And a lot of churches don't know how to do that. So we started to pray. We want to be a church that knows how to do that well. Instead of just providing a good service with a lot of worship or, like, those are beautiful things, but that's not the answer to everything, right? Like, it's about your whole life. So we wanted to be a church that was planted next to rivers of living water. Year three, we went to John 15. We actually used the whole passage, but I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that, is that right? What in the world? He it is that bears much fruit. Where are you going to go with that? For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the idea here um, was that we had to consistently be connected to the vine. We're not the vine, but we have to be connected to the vine. And over time, he'll provide the fruit. Instead of trying to create fruit, which I think a lot of churches do as well, it's we're creating fruit, come get it, instead of we're being planted deeply in his vine. And over time, he will provide that fruit. The idea here is that you cannot cut corners with Jesus. There are no like shortcut routes to growth in Christ. There's time in the vine, and even for the first three years, the vine will prune back the fruit until the third year, it'll be a harvest. Does that make sense? So that's really important to know. And then this year, uh, we haven't prayed through or decided yet what next year will be, but we know that we felt like God was calling us to pull up a seat at the table. And so the last month was about inviting you to sit at this table. And then it's not about how awesome a pastor is or who's the prophet in the room. It's not about that. It's about a body of believers that is the body of Christ. We represent Christ as a whole. There's no one person we need to focus on doing that for us. That makes sense? We all pull up a seat at the table because every single one of you offers something. Even if someone else in this room said that you're not valuable, 
You have something, right? This is why I believe people can use their gift without being truly planted in God because it's there in us. But as soon as we have the fruit, then I think the gift is beautiful. Please, no more gift without fruit. The world has had enough of that. We know how important we are. We know that we're awesome, but who's humble? Who will serve? Who will serve when it doesn't fit your calling? Who will? I love that the people from Scotland are here. Our, our friends that led worship in Scotland, will you just raise your hands? So first time I went to Scotland, I, their, their dad's church. Yeah, we can see chat. Their dad's church is doing powerful things. Our network's been connected to him. The first time I met him, he was cleaning toilets for sixth graders. The first thing I saw a pastor doing was their, at their church was cleaning toilets for sixth graders. And I was like, you need to come to America <laughs> because this does not happen, right? We over-honor one person so much, and we demand stages, but we don't want toilets. I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> I mean, you need a toilet from time to time. <laughs> but we need people. The body of Christ in our world needs people that serve like Jesus served, right? So pulling up a seat to the table is this admission that we're not more important than anybody in this room, right? Just because I say that you need to do something doesn't mean that you need to do it, right? You, you, you're connected to the vine as well. So, so today we're stepping into, and if you can pull up this last passage, Luke 22, 7 through 20. This is what we feel like the Lord's saying. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will come to you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they came and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it unless it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and you all know this passage. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. The whole idea of him coming to give completely of himself to us. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion, we remember that this is our conquering Messiah. The conquering Messiah that came not on a horse but a cross. And likewise the cup that I have eaten, that had eaten, saying, this is the cup I poured out for you. It is the new covenant of my blood. So this is the idea that we're trying to, to say to you, this is, this is our Father. This is our serving Father. And so, so as we step into answering questions together, these are the questions that came from your hearts. And I'm going to kind of cue up the questions and let people speak to them, but there's a couple that, that I was given really quickly that are kind of one-offs I just want to answer, and they're really great questions, so pay close attention to these. I don't work, and my husband doesn't believe. How do I take his money for tithing without argument? How do I convince him my good life involves being here at RCC? I feel compelled to tithe, but all I can give freely is my time and heart. Please pray for this person. 
Oops. Break his heart, let him know God's glory and his bounty. Really clearly, like, God's goal is not to get somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus to give money. Somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is needs to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so if you find yourself in a similar scenario, the idea isn't to make sure you talk your spouse into giving money to this church. The idea is that they need to see Jesus in you. And that looks like sacrificial loving. That doesn't look like a demand. And for us to partner with you for those people like we would anybody. Does that make, does that make sense? So be at peace if you don't have income and can't give money. Be at peace. You don't have to do that in that way. And your goal for your spouse or anybody else wouldn't be to convince them to give money. So does that make sense? Amen. The only other one I'm going to answer on my own is, my heart has had a strong longing to serve and give at RCC, but I have felt strong guilt over it because I do not live in the area and only visit when I come to see my partner. I have a membership with the church where I live and have felt that I need to serve that community even though I feel a stronger desire for RCC. My question is, should I focus on my current church or start transitioning out to RCC? I will eventually move to the area after my fiance and I get married, but don't know how to invest my time and money in the meantime. <laughs> awesome. So if you're a part of another church and you're there, you should give to that church, 100%. That's my belief. But if you feel like God's calling you to transition um, and you know that you will, Start praying through what that looks like, and let's make that happen. And I'll even say this. This is a, probably the boldest thing I'll say today. We believe God's called us to River City and Smyrna, and that doesn't mean that if you live outside of the area of Smyrna that we don't believe you're supposed to be a part of the church. We, in fact, do. But there should be a part of your heart that loves Smyrna in a way that you want to serve it. And I would even throw this challenge out to you. Maybe God is calling you to move to Smyrna. We've had people in the last year, 10 15 people talking through and finding houses in Smyrna to come and partner with what God's doing. That's a big step, right? But if you feel like God has called you here, ask him if he's calling you to move to that city here. Does that make sense? Uh, but if you're a part of another church and feel like you should be there for a while, you should definitely not give here and right now. Amen? Amen. All right. So I'm going to chum these other ones up. Um, I'm going to start with my beautiful um, connections pastor. <laughs> She's more than beauty, guys. It's not just about beauty with her. She's the smartest person at this table. Well, no, there's a couple other people. It's definitely not me, though, I'm for sure. I'm like fourth or fifth, probably fourth at this table. I'm really not. I think I'm actually sixth. That stinks. So, all right. So I am going to chum this up to Jordan. Church membership. A lot of people asked about this. How does RCC view membership? It feels vague. It is. <laughs> How do I know I belong, especially if someone says I do not? Ouch. Please never say that to someone. RCC emphasizes unity, but at what point do differences of belief become divisive? Great question. We could spend a whole Sunday on that third one. So, Jordan, how do you feel about church membership and the questions that were just asked? Yeah, so um, so first off, I think yeah, we have to approach um, church membership and realize that it's not equivalent to salvation. And so I think a lot of times in the West, we really like to know where the line is and who's in and who's out of, of Christianity, who's in and out of this church. And um, 
That's just not our job to make that decision. Um, that's Jesus's job. I definitely think there's a line there, and I just I don't, we don't know exactly where it is. And it's different for each person. Everyone's on a journey at different spots of our lives. So, um, so for, for here, we have to create a space where people can come in and interact with God and be able to have an open space to have questions um, and to walk through their sin and be able to, like, if you can't enter into a, a space to be able to ask questions and interact with God in the midst of your sin, then where are you going to be able to interact with those things? Like, we have to create the space here for you. So, and you need to know that you have space to be able to be yourself and to ask questions, and you don't have to be polished to be here. So in terms of, of membership, we think of it more in terms of, are you really on board with the vision and the mission of this church? Um, you're, so when we say, are you a part of River City, we're not saying, are you a part of the universal body of believers? I totally think you can be and not be a part of this church. And Absolutely. so... What we, would, what we would ask is, what do you feel like you really believe in the values and the vision here? And if you do, then that would, we would say, yeah, you're a part of this body. So, um, and for, for membership here, it's, it's kind of been a progression from, you know, when we started this church, there was 30 or 40 of us, and there was no need for anything. I mean, we all knew each other really well as a big family. And there was no question of who was a part of this body and who wasn't. And now there's like probably 200 people in here, and it's really difficult. I mean, most of you guys don't know everyone in this room. And so we have to, we have to be creative with how we're going to approach this in the future um, because it's just the questions are different than they used to be. So what we've noticed over the, over the past year or two is, is that this type of environment can be a revolving door for some people. You can come in, and you can, you can sit in the back, and then you can leave and never really buy into the mission, the vision here. And so is that, does, is that what it means to be part of a member here? No, it, it's definitely more than that. And, and so the, the expectation for us is that you guys would be praying for the church, like through the pots that we, that we bring and that you guys bring to us, um, that you guys would be participating in the life of the church. That means being present here on Sundays, it also means being present with one another in times of need. Um, it looks like it looks like giving financially in other ways, in your resources, in your time, in your energy, in your love for one another. Um, so in those ways, yeah, like we anticipate that you guys would would do that, and then at the same time that we would reciprocate that back to you. Um, so that's what it means to be a part of the body here, um, and we're praying for. We're starting to ask the questions of of do we need something that's a little bit more formal? Not so we can say who's in and out of Jesus, but who's in and out in terms of do you really believe what's happening here and to be able to communicate the values of the church. That's great. Anybody want to riff on that real quick and at this table specifically? Yeah. Um, from a non-staff member perspective, um, the, the idea of membership, I think, is like historical and like with church membership and the very first day that Justin and I came here, Jordan was leading prayer that morning. And after he finished prayer, our first thought was, this feels like home. And the symbolism of this table is important because it's about family. And so it's being a part of a family. You wouldn't look at, do I have to have a membership card to be a member of a family? And this is about coming to the table with whatever you have 
and just being a member of the family. So the view of that, I think, too, is what like what Jordan said. It's coming and giving whatever you have, your heart, your time, and your energy to love people well. So. And it's also it's also being given to part of the membership. And this is what we overemphasize at first, without emphasizing any of this, is we feel a responsibility for things like health and pastoral shepherding and being available in your life. It's also that. That's a part of a family as well. So anyway, thank you guys. Um, thanks, Jordan. It was really good. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this next one to Sarah. This is a question on mission. Everyone say mission. Okay, I don't know why I did that. I don't know what this means. Why don't you mention the importance of our daily lives outside of the church? At work, with family and neighbors, etc. There seems to be a lot of emphasis on the church, but not a lot on how we take God outside of it. Okay, so this question was really challenging for me because my first honest reaction was, we totally do this, right? And so it's interesting how when I love questions because you're forced to put on a different set of glasses. And so with my set of glasses, I was like, oh my gosh, we totally have this conversation every week. But so in thinking through it a little bit more, um, it it just took me back to um, an author that I love. His name is James K.A. Smith. And and this is the guy through um, where I got the concept of the good life. And so he talks about how the Sunday worship gathering is sort of the the big L in liturgy and how throughout the week is like your little L. So on Sunday and the worship experience, what happens is we cultivate um, a not only a spirit of worship, but it's, it's really a place where we as a community, our hearts can become oriented to the kingdom corporately. So the goal is to cultivate a feeling, a a love for God in our community and how that should overflow into the rest of our week. So as I thought about it, I thought, well, it's not that talking about the practicals of the week doesn't matter and that that shouldn't be a conversation on Sunday. But I think our main goal is the pursuit of loving God as a community and receiving the love of God. And so I think that that's our original intent is how do we worship and love God together and how do we receive that love? And then in turn, that overflows into the week, right? In, in thinking about that, though, I thought about how we, we sort of try to fi- uh, follow this arc in worship of gathering, listening, communing, sending. We try to do that in our gatherings as a community and how that sending portion is a portion, right? So it's not the whole thing, but it is a portion that we need to do well. And, it, and, and I did say, you know what, maybe we do need to send well and continually remind you guys at our benediction that the love that we have just, re, the love of God that we had just reoriented ourselves to does need to carry through. And so for me, I was challenged to think through what that language might look like and what that, um, what practices might move our community towards that. And then that being said, we also, as a staff, have the assumption that we're in life groups and we're doing, like like Jordan said, that we're in community and we're sort of like Sunday's not the only conversation. So hopefully, as individuals, our heart for God, our love for God is being grown on Sunday. And then we are daily having conversations, meeting with our life group and talking through the practicals of what that looks like for me at my job, um, in my home, 
obviously that's difficult individually and specifically to have that conversation on Sunday morning. Um, does anyone else want to add on to that? So I'll piggyback a little bit on that. One, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably noticed that we're not very cookie cutter. So, and for me, when I think about this idea, um, we create space for you to dig into some of these things. Like we could sit up here and give you um, a flyer or three points to go and practically apply these things. And then you would have a list of things to apply and you could check them off a list. But I think we grow in depth with the Lord and the relationship we have with him and with others by digging into, like Sarah said, as she even contemplated this question this week, she had to kind of sit and think and dig into this. And I think on Sunday mornings when you're in here and you listen to whoever's talking up front, it's an opportunity to, to have some content to dig in and think about, how do I do this at work? How do I do this with my neighbor? Um, and, and that process is how I think a lot of us just grow as opposed to, you know, I think we're, we're conditioned a bit to get the, the three points and do them to say that we did them and feel good about what we did, but what has it really changed other than an outward doing, right? That's good. Thanks, Bill. Another quick one-off um, I had was, is it a sin to miss church simply because you do not feel like going? That's like a real question, I think, too, that a lot of people ask. And I would just say, I would say that's the wrong entry into that topic. Is it a sin to miss? I, it's similar to a family member in a household deciding not to come to dinner for a week. Would it be, should they be punished for it, or are they just missing a lot of the, like, life of the party? So I would say I don't believe it's a sin to miss church, but I do believe if you desire to miss church a lot, there's something else happening. Um, you don't want to be at the table for a reason. You should talk about it. I'd sit down with my kids and be like, why don't you want to come to dinner? I wouldn't be like, you, you wicked sinners, eat your food. <laughs> I would just want to talk to them about the dinner, the, the table is a great place to be. Like maybe there's been a misrepresentation of it, but we just want you to have a good dinner with us. If you don't want to ever be at the table, there's something else happening. And this is a good, this is a good way. Is it a sin? You probably have maybe a little bit of a religious way of looking at it that's not going to be a good way to frame your whole Christian walk. Um, it's great. Yeah. yeah. When I thought about this question, um, I, you know, a lot of times I think if I'm sitting with someone, like, what would I say? And I would, I think, say, well, like, rather, like, reframe the question, right? Like, what's, a lot of times our questions just need to be reframed to show what's really going on. And so I would want to say, well, what's the rhythm of your life? Do you have a healthy rhythm of work, rest, play, community, right? Worship. Um, and so a lot of times we have zero margin anywhere else. So the that two hours, like on Sunday morning, is the margin that's easy to move. And so I would just, in a loving way, probe, like, what's the rhythm of your life? Are you so tired that that's the only two hours you have in the week? Because that's, that's a problem for your health, right? And so I think we need to set up a healthy rhythm for our lives that include, obviously, work, but rest and margin and community and friendship and leisure um, and worship. And all of those are necessary to our health. And so we have to be really intentional and practice a lot of simplicity in order to get at that healthy rhythm. Good. So we're just going to jump on to the next one. This is about community, and we had a lot of questions about this. This is going to be Bill and Alita. Um, 
So how do I become a part of a family if I do not know what it looks like at a church? If this church is so family-oriented, why don't people make a big deal out of fellowshipping with others or new folks? Folks, sorry. Example, inviting someone to lunch. And if you have invested time and service but still have no community, what should you do? So, Bill, you want to go first? and then? Sure. Um, okay, so if, if you see me speak, I write my stuff out. So I wrote my stuff out here for this, too. I'm not a good off-the-cuff kind of person. Um, but in kind of in chronological order in the questions, um, how do I become a part of the family if I do not know what that looks like at a church? First off, I would say push through the awkward. Okay, just push through it. The awkward of asking to be a part, the awkward of initial conversations, the awkward of admitting you're needing a family, right? You're looking for a family. You want that relationship. That's hard. That's, that requires a little humility to ask that, some transparency, some vulnerability, and that's scary if it's not just awkward. It's also scary. Um, but I'd encourage you to just push through it. Get past that. We've all been there. We're all may be there in some way or another. We can identify with that awkwardness, the difficulty of that. Um, just I challenge you to push through that, and I'm not a challenge guy. Secondly, if this church is so family-oriented, why don't we make a big deal out of fellowshipping with others or new folks? Okay, I don't know what make a big deal necessarily means, but if it means one of us up here talking um, and encouraging people to go to lunch or invite someone to lunch, um, we actually used to do something like that. Uh, from time to time, but what we discovered is that some of us just don't have the resources to actually do that. And so for some, it created a little sensitivity or a difficult situation to be in when we were up here saying, go to lunch with people. Like, I, I can't. So what does that mean for me? Um, that said, if anyone wants to go to lunch, right, push through that awkward and invite somebody you've met, you've had a conversation with at meet and greet or at the coffee, um, and invite them to lunch, right? That, again, requires you to kind of push through. There are plenty of people in here who go to lunch right from here and wouldn't mind going to lunch with you. But you have to kind of take, challenge yourself to actually say, I'd like to go to lunch with you. Um, can we go? Um, okay, the last question. If, you have, if you've invested time and service in the church but still have no community, what should you do? I've given this question some thought um, and prayer this week. Um, and I think it's important for us to resist the temptation to look at our relationship with the church as a commercial transaction. Especially in America, we're conditioned to view our relationships in the context of return on investment. Right? What am I getting out of this? So as long as we feel there's a return on our investment, we'll give our time, we'll give our service, we'll give our resources. Um, but on a practical level, I'd encourage you to keep seeking community. Okay, keep initiating contact with those around you. Um, continue to be involved where you can use your gifts and talents. Engage with a life group. We've talked about that, right? Engage with a life group, which means creating space in your life to actually go to a life group um, and sharing your concerns, sh being vulnerable with that group, um, including your desire for community, right? Just admit that up front. Share that. When people hear you are looking for this, they will reach out to you. Um, be transparent and vulnerable with what you're, you're needing, what you're wanting. Um, and maybe on some level we need to shift from thinking about what do I need to do 
and just be. Just be present to experience life with each other um, and share things in common with others that we have. To build a foundation, right, upon which we can grow those relationships and grow in community, right? When we were, when we were all kids, we had ready-made communities in our classroom or on the school bus or in our neighborhood. It was easy, right? And now as adults, it's not so easy because we actually have to make some effort and other things have crowded into our life. We have to make the space for that. Um, but if, if we're wanting it, we, we, we kind of have to look in the mirror a little bit and challenge ourselves to make the time for it and make the space for it. So. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I love the vulnerability of that question because that's what coming to the table is about, is being able to ask the hard stuff and it being okay. Um, the vulnerability of like, what do I do if I don't feel like I fit? Or what do I do if I don't feel like I'm connecting? Like that, first of all, props, because that's amazing. Um, and so, um, so to the, those asking that question, I feel like Bill did a great job of answering that, of like push through the awkwardness. You know, like we, we thrive in awkward, which is what we love about River City, but like pushing through that awkwardness of not knowing who to ask and not knowing um, if you'll be accepted or not, right? And to those of us who are maybe on the other side of that question, I feel like that is a huge thing for us to hear, right? That there's somebody in this room or somebody's in this room that don't feel like they're connecting. And I really feel like it goes back to what Sarah was saying about creating room and creating space. Um, I, for one, am terrible about leaving room for margin. Um, and we started, we as a family, um, started feeling this, this call to the table. And in January, we started uh, being very intentional about family night on Wednesday nights. And it's become family night now and because others are coming to the table that are family. Um, and so we, the, the process of what that look like, looks like, it's been a, a transition for sure over time. But um, it looks like coming to the table at 7 p.m., and cutting off devices. It means leaving them in another room and not being tempted to be distracted. It looks like being intentional and being face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, being transparent, being vulnerable with what's happened in your week and what the Lord is teaching you. Um, And that started, it was hard in the beginning to be intentional. And then we've made this to this place where we'll sit there for a couple hours and just talk about what God's doing in our life. No matter the age, um, we're all just learning to be open and vulnerable and transparent with each other. And so um, I say that to invite you to come to our family night, um, but also to think about starting your own family night so that there is space for those who feel like they're not connecting. Um, And it takes being intentional and creating margin. And I'll be completely honest that we do it on Wednesdays, and there's some Wednesdays where I'm like, oh, I don't know why we do this because I'm so stressed out from being in, like, being at work all day long and not having time to prepare a meal for 12 people. Um, and it's because I didn't leave space, and I didn't prepare for it well. And when I do, and I can enter it in an open-hearted, vulnerable space, the conversation and what God does at that table is unbelievable. So... Thanks, Alita. Yeah, Um, 
So Bill said he's not big on challenge. I am, so I'll challenge you. Com community takes a, takes time, and it doesn't happen in like a week. And so, one thing that I hear a lot is like people try out a life group or try to build a relationship with somebody, and it doesn't click. And you and you went like to lunch twice, and you need to give like six months to somebody before you can really actually feel like you've had any breakthrough in relationship. Like you don't get engaged to somebody that you met like a week ago and you're not going to enter in a relationship over a week. Like it takes time before you're able to really be vulnerable and put your heart out there to someone. So take the time to be in relationship and people are waiting if you, if you, if you give the effort. I love that and I didn't want to riff on it, but it's such the answer to kind of America's version of quick fix Christianity that you pray what you want, you get what you want, you move on. And the organic part of God is that he doesn't cut corners with things that matter. So if you want real relationships, you got to really be in a relationship, right? Like, I'm not going to go look at my bank account later, and it, like, quadrupled just out of the blue. And I think we, we have to model that as people, that it's worth our time to invest with each other. And somewhere along the way in the in community, somebody's going to do something dumb or stupid or hurtful, and it's, you're going to find out it's not perfect still, and then you have the choice then to continue to press in and make space for people who don't fit into that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's the Judas at the table with Jesus. I'm not saying that any of you are Judases. I'm just saying Jesus showed that by inviting Judas to the table because you can't control your table. You start controlling your tables, then it's a whole different thing, right? Like the book of Ephesians was written towards that. Um, there's no fences needed with the gospel. It's you come to my house. She just invited all of you to her house. I heard her say all of you <laughs> are welcome to her house, and she means it. So if you're strange or weird, I would really appreciate it if you would show up to her dinner. <laughs> it would be amazing. Next question, just jumping really quickly. Um, I'm going to do this one, so on giving, and then Jen will do the one on fear. So there's a lot on giving because we talked about giving. For if, you're, if you're new here, we don't talk about giving a ton. Um, a, kind of a thing in my heart was I sat through too many giving messages that were unhealthy about manipulation. So we do a terrible job at preaching generosity, and it's my fault. So I'm kind of owning that. Um, but here's some of the questions that surfaced after last week's giving talk. I heard all of the benefits of giving to RCC and how it will build a community, but how will it benefit my family? How does God bless me when I tithe my money? Well, I'll just be very simple. This is not going to satisfy many of you. What happens when you decide to give is that you partner in relationship with Christ and that he gave asking for nothing in return. And if all of your tithe goes towards you getting something back, you're tithing wrong. It's wrong. It's not, that's, not, that's not the gospel. The gospel is I came to serve and love, and because of that, there will be a fight. So God will take care of your all, every need. That's the, the prayer we're going to, that's, he, he, every day, manna from heaven, he takes care of it. But the goal in giving is not that you get back. It's not, it really isn't a transactional investment where you made like, it's not like you're playing the stock market. It's not, you're, you're partnering with Christ in his sufferings and saying, you came to serve and love and showing your families, if your family's asking question, how does this benefit our family? Showing them how to be selfless in a society that we live in is so much bigger of a gift than saying, this is going to return. And it is going to return. It just might not return in financial means, right? It could return by you owning a bike instead of a car and loving it, right? Like, that's my story. But I would say that how does it help you? The biggest thing that it helps is reframing your whole persona and that serving is huge and giving is huge. And it's not just because you get something back. Um, how does giving and being a kingdom disciple correlate? I think the answer is actually in that question. A kingdom disciple is someone who decides to come into a world 
that is less than what he is, take off his God clothes, walk around while people scorn him and place thorns on his head, and then put himself on a cross when everyone told him not to and die for those who needed it without them even knowing it. So how does giving, that question I think is answering, how does giving and being a kingdom disciple correlate? I think it is the definition of a kingdom disciple, that you would give of yourself so completely that someone would know Jesus. Um, I grew up in a church but never understood tithing. I didn't trust the church. I understand that. I didn't either. How will you handle God's money and where will it be used for the kingdom? I would listen to last week's message and also we make available exactly what we spend on what two times a year and we don't hide anything. So there's no hidden stuff and we are working on our budget for next year and you'll have that budget and know what it's spent on. So that's if you if you want to email me about that, we can even send you that stuff. And the last one is, if I already give 10%, and this is one of our staff who's trying to like make us angry at staff meeting when we met these. Um, if I already give 10% to missionaries and organizations, why do I need to give to the local church? Sowing to the kingdom is sowing to the kingdom, which is like a staff we were like, whoa. But then that's a real question that many people ask, right? And I would say back to the family table, right? The person in the family that never does anything for dinner. At some point, the parents will be like, you have a responsibility too, right? Like, my kids need to know that they need to clean their plates. So coming to a local church, you, you say you believe in the local church by being present. But part of that is understanding that this does not function without generosity. And it doesn't come from, like, TBN does not send us their surplus. <laughs> They're not sending it to, to make sure we have what we need. This yesterday, when we had a, a memorial service for, for a person who's been a part of our community for not very long, that many of you didn't know because she was very quiet, that doesn't just happen. There's not, like, this magic fun that pastors get. Like, it's the fun for that. It's the tree that God sent us. It's, that happens through generosity. So if you're part of a local church and you feel called to it, then giving is, is an outflow of that. It's just part of it. It's coming to the table and bringing something. It's not being the college student at the party that's like, I brought Fritos three times ago, but I'm having lasagna again, and I'm not cleaning. I'll see you later. So we want to kind of break that stereotype and say, everybody can bring something, right? The widows might. Everybody can bring something. It might not be a million dollars, but it's something. It is a million but if it is a million dollars, we have a wardrobe fund. Just kidding. We don't have a wardrobe fund, and we never will. That's hilarious. Some churches have a wardrobe fund. So that leads me into the question for Jen. Um, one reason people do not give is fear, fear that they will not have enough if they give. That is my struggle. I would love to hear you address this aspect. And how do you deal with a budget that doesn't quite allow you to give 7% when there's a lot of fear in my heart because of any potential financial issues and needs? Okay. So we have lived this. Um, I'll try not to cry. But, um, okay, so we, our income used to be fairly large. And I would say I wasn't materialistic. I don't love my things. I love God, blah, blah, blah. My treasure's in heaven. And so then once, once it was gone, it was totally different. I mean, I could see where my security came from, knowing we had a retirement fund, knowing we had health insurance. Um, if I needed new tires on my car, I just went and got them. It's no big deal. Um, and so when we had that, we would give, but we were giving from our excess. We were giving from money in our, from our paychecks that we hadn't already allocated somewhere. And so um, our excess would go to, let's do a vacation or let's um, have an experience. You know, I feel like, especially in America, we're so leisure driven. We're ball games and not that they're bad. 
ball games and movies and whatever, especially in a big city, the opportunities are endless. And so our excess money is what can we do this weekend? Where can we go for spring break? What, what experiences can I give my kids? And so when um, our income shrunk dramatically, um, oh, and with all that, I feel like it's a striving. It's a striving to fill, uh, it was a striving for me to fill a spot in me, a spot that wanted adventure, a spot that wanted entertainment, a spot that wanted connection. And so when our income changed, we were then giving, if we gave, it was out of something we needed, like we were going to use for not necessarily excess, like maybe groceries or something like that. And being somebody who loves to be strong and self-sufficient, I mean, that's like my happy place, strong and self-sufficient. And the vulnerability word makes me cringe every time somebody says it. But with that vulnerability, when we need something, we ask somebody. And when we ask somebody, there is a connection. It creates community. It creates empathy on my part for people who maybe need to ask all the time. And so, and then whoever I'm asking, I have a connection with them then. And so the end is that we don't go without if we really need it. I mean, there was stuff that we thought, I thought I really needed it, but here I am two months later, I still don't have it, and I'm totally fine. But knowing what that is, if I have a real need, I go to somebody, and it goes against everything that's inside me. But it's beautiful. And so if we can grab hold of that, it makes the web of our connection so much deeper and so much stronger. And then when we reach out to others, we have this empathy that we cannot get anyplace else. We can't get it from books. We can't get it from talking about it. Um, it's really powerful. So I don't know that I answered. And the whole 7% thing. Um, I don't know. I'm not big on percentages. But... But give, talk to God. I mean, he'll tell you what to give. And then it connects you to him, yeah. you know? He will tell you, you know, what should I do with this $20? What should I do with this food that's in my fridge? I mean, I just think it opens a conversation with Jesus and with others. I'll riff off because one of our wise counsel that couldn't be here wanted to answer. She's out of town right now. But I so understand that since I, and I've had the same struggle, what if... What if when I give, I don't have enough to pay the bills? I'm not going to get it to pay. What if an emergency happens? What if I don't save enough money? Who will take care of it? What if, what if I need to store up funds for those potential disasters or long-term needs? So give, giving has to take a back seat until enough is stored. I realized that this fear was rooted in a lack of trust in God and provision for me. I realized that I could never save up enough to cover all the potential disasters and emergencies that my mind could conjure up. I realized that I had to learn to trust God in all areas of my life. It has taken time. But to get where I am now, I have followed a two-pronged approach. First, I started giving. I had a pastor then who wisely counseled me. It's more important to focus on giving consistently than to focus on how much. I started making, a gift, making giving a habit every week to keep it in the front of my mind. And as I wrote each check each week, I asked God to bless those funds. They were his anyway. I started with a small amount, and over time, as the Holy Spirit had prompted me, I have increased that number. And you know, and you know what? I don't miss that money. 
I have also learned to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to give on other occasions and to trust with provision. I've learned that giving is an act of worship and it is a joy to worship the Lord in this way. Second, I began to deal with the fear and the lack of trust, which really is the bigger issue. I've prayed and received counsel regarding the fear and I've received healing for that. There are times when that fear returns, but now I know how to recognize it when it comes and to combat it. If you deal with this fear, please ask for prayer and counsel regarding this. It is an attack of the enemy to prevent you from walking in joy and freedom. You can be free of this as well as learn to trust God to provide for all of your needs. I thought that was really good. And just um, to encourage you, you will be afraid. And it's okay. Like you'll walk through it and then you'll be okay. Like if you're like me, you're okay for a couple months and then Bill has to put up with me and then I'm afraid for like a week. And then I'm okay. And then so, but I keep like taking steps forward. It's good. Yeah, we got to watch our time. So last one, I'm just going to read it to you, and then you can think through it. Um, and this one is on serving. Is there accountability for making sure people serve at RCC and in Smyrna? There's no way to do that. There's no way to me, for me to show up at your house and be like, you need to serve. The way that we do it is, the way that we do it is to model it. So I, we specifically serve in areas that don't benefit us, or we don't lead from the mountain in that way. Like, I'm done with that sermon and people talking about, you're the leader, you need to leave the mountain. Is that why Jesus came as Emmanuel to live with us? No, we serve because we feel like it's important in areas that don't correlate. So we model it, and then we tell you, you need to serve. Like, you need to serve. If you want connection, the best way to connect with people is serve with them. The best connections you're going to make is serving with somebody, a common goal that's not yourself, together with someone. You'll have a stronger bond than you've ever made at this church. And if you still don't have it, it doesn't mean that it didn't work. You just need to keep pressing in. Amen? The next part about that is, if a staff gets up to ask for help, but, but nobody steps up, what is the answer? I don't know. That would be a great one to have, though. I would write a book, and we would all be rich. Um, again, we need your help. When you help, it helps everybody. The blanket idea. If literally seven different families or six different families are carrying the financial weight of the church, that's strenuous on them, right? If City Kids only has 10% of our people volunteering and none of the parents of the kids volunteer, of course that's going to be hard for them. Like, you need to know that. And the last question is great. Why should I serve if staff get paid to do the job? <laughs> that's so awesome. To be honest with you, you would feel... We don't get paid enough. You, <laughs> if you saw everything specifically that the people at this, they're just glorified volunteers, really. Like, nobody makes a lot of money. Nobody has insurance. All of us, by about the 20th day of the month, are asking for help with groceries. Um, we don't talk about giving twice a year like most pastors do. We do one generosity message a year. But we're typically here, and staff members at church are here, to shepherd people who shepherd people who shepherd people, to serve people who will serve people. It's not our job to serve and provide an experience for you. It's our job to show you how to serve so that you will serve, hopefully, outside of these walls as well. Does that make sense? I, okay, so I'm going to say this really quick. But when we're thinking about the accountability, this just came to me. But, like, this is why we have relationships, right? And so, and this is, if I am on a, if I am being transparent and practicing vulnerability with friends in, in community, then we should be able to say to each other, hey, I feel like your life is really revolving around you lately. Like, honestly, right? But we don't want to step on each other's toes. So we don't really do that interpersonally, provide accountability. So I think that's where we provide accountability, is in true spiritual friendship when we can encourage each other to get out of our own narcissism. 
Yeah, and this is just kind of a culminating thought of all of it. But when I was praying through these questions, this is what I felt like the Lord asked me. And the question is, do I see myself as someone separate from the church? Is the church a building or an organization or a body that is separate from me? Because a lot of times we ask the question, why isn't the church doing blank? Right? But we are the church. So if, if we see ourselves as separate from that, then the question is, why don't we feel like we have a seat at the table? And so my heart and my challenge is, and God challenged me with that. So I'm looking, we are looking at, so what does that look like? If God has shown us that there's, a, there's an issue in this area, then what are we doing to help in that? So. Great. Just to wrap up, and I, I promised Sarah Luke I would do this. Thank you for your questions. Keep them coming. This is just a model. You can ask, you can actually use words to ask us questions too. Um, you can email me. We'll answer your questions honestly. It may be helpful for you to know clarity up front if this is a good place for you if you're newer. Um, keep the questions coming. We won't do another Sunday like this for a while, and we won't focus only on RCC for another month. We needed to do this to catapult us into what we're doing. We're going to jump right back into Mark next week. We're going to just get into the Bible, and I think it's going to be great. But we also challenge people if they felt like they were hearing anything for our church. If you guys know Sarah Luke, she's older. She's, she's passing away. Um, she doesn't have much time left. She's part of our community, and we've been spending time with her. And I asked anybody if they felt like they had heard from the Lord this month for RCC to email me. None of you did, which meant it wasn't for today, uh, but I blame you all. Um, if you still feel like God's speaking something to you, I want to know those things. You're a part of the body. Sarah had something that she had spoken to us, so hopefully it'll... <laughs> Hey, Miss Sarah, I know that everyone at church misses you right now and loves you. Is there anything that you want to say to everybody? Yes, I miss all of y'all, too, and I hope very soon I can be back to visit with you. Okay, so um, that would be great. <laughs> Second thing is we wanted to know if you felt like you had heard anything from the Lord about the church right now. Yes, I have been praying about that. I've had lots of time to pray, lots of free time. So I've been praying about that. But one about the expansion or growth or the space. But, you know, one of the things God showed me is that it's going to get more and more. And I could just see people coming and people getting healed and changes taking place with emotional healing and physical healing. And that just spoke volumes to me and I'm praying that God will provide us a big enough place so that in a year from now we don't have to do the same thing again. Amen. Okay, and lastly, how can and most importantly, how can River City pray for you and walk with you? River City can continue to pray for me that my light can shine brighter going out than it has ever shined before. Thank you. We love her. She told me to add, it was kind of, she told me to add that she didn't feel like she's going to be able to see it come to fruition, but she's going to have a front row seat in heaven and she's going to be cheering us on. Yeah, I'm sad that I won't be there to see it, but I will have a front row seat in heaven. Love you all. And for those of you, many people have prayed healing for her and she's, 
she believes in healing, and we still, we're still praying it, but she literally believes the Lord told her she, the, the way that she's going out is the way that he has called, and she's been the best disciple of Christ I've ever seen in my life. More inspiration from this person ever. People getting saved left and right. Um, God is just doing amazing work for her. So I received that and felt like you needed to hear it from her. It's just beautiful to have her. But anyway, I digress. Um, so what we'll do is we'll close out, and if you guys could just... Um, Julie, if you guys want to step up, and then I'm just going to pray over you that you would, if you heard anything in October, just go ahead and close your eyes. Um, we don't want to pressure anybody into anything, but we want to invite you to the table. And if God has called you to this table, what does it look like for you to embody this? And I don't, we don't want you to go buy I love my church stickers and put them on your car. Well, that's not what it's about. We want you to say, I want to be in relationship, and I want to love these people well. I want them to know my story. I want to know theirs, and I want to take ownership in this. So if you've heard anything over the past month, it's we know we're going somewhere where we need to be together, and we're inviting you on board with that. We're inviting you to sit at the table. Many of you have never, you've been at church your whole life, and you've never truly sat at a table with community. You've heard like a thousand great messages, but you've never truly sat at a table or sat and listened to someone who was weeping because something happened, or stayed after to just sit with someone, to be present, be present with us. Walk with us. Serve with us. Love with us. Believe what God's going to do in the city with us. Reframe what it means to be a believer of Christ with us. That people are important enough to slow down, and that you're important enough to slow down. And it's important to do a service like this where you're not hearing a preaching and getting your word and then going, but you're slowing down enough to hear real things that are happening in real communities. This is the body of Christ. This is Acts community. This is what he's calling us to do. So, Father, as we enter into our weeks, let the challenges of October be ones that say, please jump on board with your whole life. Jump through the awkwardness, jump through the uneasy times, and open up conversations at tables. This is your phrase for this next season. Where is my table, Lord? What table are you leading me to? It could be a small group. It could be kids' ministry. It could be a thing that you do on your own with lunch. Where is my table? We ask forgiveness for all the stages we seek, God. As Christians in America, I step to the front of that and say, forgive me for desiring a stage when all of these years you've asked me to desire a table. Help us to be that kind of community that says... We're hospitable with our homes. Come inside. Speak to our hearts, God. Thank you for giving us this gift of RCC. As a body, we want to move forward. I'm asking that he would speak clearly to you right now about how you can step deeper into the life of this community and the life of the kingdom. In fact, just put your hand over your hearts and we'll, we'll close like this. We Romans 12, our hearts for you, Father, which is present them as living sacrifices. We definitely think, we don't want to think too highly of ourselves, but we would like to give ourselves as living sacrifices to you so that the fragrance of Christ would be spread across our homes, our work, our jobs, our families, and that the selflessness and humility of Christ would be in our hearts. Serve and love in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.